0: It's go time. Ladies and gentlemen, this is season 11, episode 7. It's the 26th of June, 2020. My name is Matt O'Neill, and on the other side of the Zoom mic is my
1: colleague. Aaron Hi, Hodson. everyone.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Great timing.
1: You want to do it again?
0: No, no, there's no editing. <laughs> okay The people are getting that list. Just to be clear, that voice is Dr. Aaron Hudson, now full professor. Yeah. homology Yeah extension entomologist yeah anyway we are back this is our seventh episode um, we've got so much to talk about okay <clears throat> don't we
1: um sure
0: long pause uh i have a fun insect trivia that is uh, somewhat timely related to okay. uh something that i experienced this week in the field in the field aaron i was in the field I'm not just home I'm working in the field
1: times are tough yeah when they get us out there (laughs) Uh, (laughs) the the help is short when we're out in the field Um, actually not we're doing really well I feel lucky for the research that we're allowed to do given this summer but yeah I had leadership training all week so I kind of sat in front of a computer and did a lot of sitting and so I'm ready to maybe be active this weekend
0: you don't need training. You're already a leader. Mm.
1: I found out um, I'm non-assertive and basically I have an avoidance is my forte, which I don't think that's a good leader trait.
0: Wait, were you in like some kind of group therapy or were you at like a leadership training?
1: <laughs> it's training, but you have to understand yourself first before you can lead others. And when avoidance is your strongest character, I was like, mm, maybe I shouldn't be a leader. Maybe I should just... Continue to not, I'll lurk behind the shadows.
0: Some people lead from behind. Mm, Okay. Maybe you're one of those. Mm. You like to get in the back and push.
1: It's a new style called reluctant leader.
0: (laughs) Well, that's in uh, the book uh, uh, by Douglas Adams, the uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy series. The leader of the universe is the best leader because he doesn't want to be a leader. And Uh they keep coming to him. Uh, and he's like, why do you keep doing this? I don't want to be a leader. And it's like, well, our algorithm has determined that the best leader is the one who doesn't want to be it. So,
1: Oh, that's totally me. Okay, I've got to read this.
0: Yeah, there you are. Okay. Uh, but outside of your leadership training, you've been keeping in touch with your crew and what some of the field crop extension folk at Iowa State. What have you been hearing?
1: Yeah, it was it was, kind, it was a busy week for insects. It was a little bit warmer in some parts and wetter. So that helped crops. I think it also helped the insects. Um, the soybean aphids have kind of held steady over the past week, but other pests like soybean gallmage are now being found within currently growing soybean fields. Oh. And so starting to see some activity. And then with that comes rapidly wilting and dying plants. So oh. starting to see some of the injury already happening this week.
0: So are these at places you expected to find? gall midge because they had been there last year or are you they were
1: nearby up? last year yeah okay so no
0: new reports yet
1: no no that's uh good that yeah that's a good point i i haven't heard of any new areas but the challenge is getting people out there scouting new fields when um, they might not be out there looking in soybean so yeah getting people out there just to check would be really important right now
0: and now would be a good time to look for soybean gall midge. why yeah. is that
1: Well, the overwintering generation is moving to currently growing soybeans, so checking those edge rows first, uh, edges that are close to soybean fields that were planted in 2019. If you're um, looking for discolored, wilted, short, stunted, maybe even dead plants, um, might be a little bit early for dead plants, but looking at plants that look different than its neighbors and maybe just splitting open the stems and looking for Bright orange maggots would be my recommendation.
0: Bright orange maggots. Yep. Uh, that's pretty clear, a distinctive feature, right? Yeah, yeah. Not, and the, you shouldn't be confusing the bright orange orange maggots that you see now with any other type of maggots that might be on a soybean plant.
1: Well, at least for Iowa, we don't have a lot of stem boring pests like they do in some surrounding states. And so it's unlikely to see... A lot of activity in, inside the stem. And then we don't really have a lot of f- pests that we would consider flies, um, mm. except for maybe like seed corn maggot. But you're not likely to find maggots. They would be basically simple, legless. They don't have any real external features. They just got kind seems, of mouth hooks on the front. <laughs>
0: yeah, it seems self explanatory when you say maggot.
1: Yeah. I think yeah. that's
0: universal. We all know what that okay.
1: means. Okay.
0: But okay. bright orange. Mm-hmm. and a stem this is not this is not a hard uh diagnostic decision right i mean when you see that you know what it is
1: yeah i don't think you're likely to mistake it with another insect that's pretty cool. yeah
0: um anything else
1: uh, japanese beetles are starting to move around in soybean and i think as corn silking comes up in the next couple of weeks they'll move over to corn and start clipping silks um Corn borers are kind of uh, the first generation is active in vegetative corn right now, so those folks not using BT should be scouting for egg masses and small larvae.
0: There's still people that are not using BT corn, that uh, not using untri- not using BT corn for corn borer.
1: What percent do you think of Iowans do not use BT corn?
0: Oh, she's turning the tables on it. Uh, Usually I'm the one asking these questions. Okay, what percentage of farmers in Iowa- I should say
1: last year, how many?
0: Last year are not using BT corn. Um, And we're not including the refuge, right? Because if you're using BT corn, you have to have a refuge, right?
1: Fair point, yes. Okay,
0: so we're talking about people who deliberately just straight up did not buy that last year.
1: They're opting out.
0: All right. I'm going to say, uh, oh, this is tough. Uh, closest without going over, right? Sure. Um,
1: uh, 17%. Oh, no, you went way over. Oh, oh. <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> <laughs> oh shoot. Well, obviously you're not reading the ICM news, Matt, because uh, <sighs> Ashley and I just put out an article last week that That's talked it. about the declining adoption rate of BT, especially in the Midwest. And um, it peaked a few years ago, but right now we're at about 13%.
0: 13% are not using.
1: Yep. I wow. think that's quite a bit, ah, you know, yeah. for a while it was up to about 97, 96%. And it's been sort of declining the last couple of years.
0: That, uh, that sound you hear in the background, at least I do, is the sound of my fan trying to keep my computer cool.
1: Hmm. It's working overtime. Yeah.
0: I ask a lot of my equipment. Um, Okay, so corn borer are active, gall midge are active, Japanese beetle are active. You're just a font of positivity this week.
1: <laughs> so much yeah.
0: good news.
1: Yeah.
0: I, will, I do want to talk about the Japanese beetle for a second. Um, I did go out in the field, but I also walked around my garden. And it, we had a, a rain event in central Iowa. I think it was throughout the state, really. Where was it Tuesday, Wednesday? We got uh, pretty consistent rain. Not just a pop-up thunderstorm, but like rain you know, for several hours. Uh, we got we a couple inches, and it was the next day, Japanese beetles were on my cherry tree. Mm-hmm. And just clumps of them. You know? yeah. And I, I'm wondering if they needed a little bit of rain to soften the soil for those adults to come out, and then it's game on.
1: Yeah, it could be. Um, I know Ames has been hit particularly hard the last couple of years. The Japanese beetle and some of the ornamental trees in my neighborhood are severely defoliated every summer. So as we walk around after work, they just get browner and sadder as the summer goes on.
0: Yeah, it's a bit of a bummer. Um, Yeah. But it's not something that, uh, at least in urban areas, you know, you would say, oh, I gotta really spray to protect my plants. Those trees can take the defoliation. But silk clipping on corn—that's a—that's a—that's a problem, right? I mean, that's something that's going to affect yield.
1: Can be a problem. Can interfere with pollination, and that would be pretty bad for yield if those kernels aren't filled up.
0: And how far are we from silk? Silking in corn—probably mm-hmm. a couple of weeks, right?
1: Yeah, um, at least I'll find out on Monday when we have our next team update. But yeah, it's maybe a couple of weeks away. But the corn. Some fields I've seen are, you know, they're almost three feet, maybe even higher tall uh-huh. at this point. So, yeah, the initiation's probably already started, you know, as far as like development-wise. But we mean, we probably will see silks and tassels in a few weeks.
0: Any other observations?
1: Mm. Do you have milkweed in your yard?
0: Um, I have a type of milkweed in my yard. And then I've been tending somebody else's garden. They've got the... I would call it the classic form of milkweed, um, yeah. the thicker stems and the the, the thicker, kind of more oval-shaped, wider leaves. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I was wondering if you saw monarchs yet. I've I've seen some aphids on my milkweed, but I haven't seen any monarchs in my yard yet.
0: Yeah. Um, I've seen adult monarchs, and I've seen the uh, beetles, the longhorn beetles, the orange ones that are on, on milkweed. Um, yeah, but I haven't seen the caterpillars yet.
1: Okay, me either.
0: It's um it's interesting that you brought that up because let's segue into one of the topics I wanted to bring up. This is pollinator week. Mm-hmm. And this would have been the time when we would have had our pollinator fast at Ryman Gardens. But
1: tomorrow, right?
0: Yeah, thanks, COVID nineteen. That got shut down.
1: <sighs> yeah. Along Just, with many other things.
0: Yeah. So uh this is a week where uh nationally we recognize pollinators and um, maybe discuss and take some action to help uh, reverse some of the declines we've seen in pollinator populations and diversity across the United States, and also just to celebrate the the beneficial work that they do. With regard- One
1: out of every three bites, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. I was on a, a, a conference call or a webinar. Was it last night? Um, sponsored by Fresh Energy, a non-governmental organization that tries to encourage solar energy use. And one of the ways that they're trying to encourage solar energy use is to uh, couple it with pollinator conservation. You can grow flowering plants in, around, underneath the solar panels. And they um, they had an event sponsored last night, uh, co-hosted by the Cliff Bar or the Cliff family. The you know Cliff Bar, they uh, have been purchasing the honey produced by the hives kept at their ranch and then selling it as solar honey and they did a honey tasting last night they have a, a executive chef on their um their staff and uh, he paired the honey with some different seasonings and made honey spreads one of them they said was like nutella it was uh, mixed with cacao and you know, the, the ingredient for chocolate And one was made with ginger for like a a more uh, savory uh, spread. And one was made with, um, oh, I'm forgetting the third one. Um, Was it lemon? Anyway, I tested them on my family and I, you know, they were all excited about the one that uh, was billed as being like Nutella, not like Nutella. (laughs) They liked it, but they were, you know, as soon as they taste like this, tastes nothing like Nutella much sweeter uh, it's a hard to hide you, the
1: Nutella hunt. to me is hazelnuts right
0: yeah it's got a okay. chocolatey it's like I, I just yeah. think of it as like a, 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 you call it hazelnut but come on that's chocolate that's just chocolate frosting that you get pretty
1: much yeah
0: at, at breakfast yeah. So anyway pollinator week bummer that we can't uh, have our event on Saturday at Ryman Gardens but next year we'll come back yeah. we'll be and back and then in thinking about some of the research we're summarizing a bunch of projects that have uh that were completed last year Uh shout out to caroline murray she has just finished identifying over i think three thousand the three thousand and two hundred wild bees as part of her project um that was last year and she it, it was a repeat of what she did in 2018 and she's comparing bees at farms with and without these prairie strips that we've talked about in the past. Um, it's been interesting. She, uh, depending upon the time of year, there's an abundant community of pollinators, even in grassy strips, flying around. But one of the communities uh, that seem to respond really well to the pollinator, or, or really well to the prairie strips, are bumblebees. She sees about twice as many bumblebees at the prairie strip sites as they control. And that, cool. that's consistent throughout the year. Yeah, that's kind of a happy story. And the other happy story is we were keeping honeybees at those sites. So whatever benefit the bumblebees were getting from the prairie strips, it didn't seem to disappear because the honeybees were there. So,
1: so not necessarily competition. Yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, there there may be some competition going on, but not enough to prevent the bumblebees from seeing a boost. And I feel like I've used the b sound more than enough for this podcast
1: yeah i like bees i've I've seen a couple different species of what i think are bumblebees in my backyard this summer and it's more than i usually see so i take it as a good sign that my that my plants are kind of expanding in diversity and attracting different pollinators
0: do you have milkweed at your um in your backyard garden yeah
1: i have at least three species maybe a fourth that i'm not sure of i should i should know but i don't know for sure if it's a milkweed or not
0: Maybe we should get one of those monarchologists on and quiz them about how things are
1: going. <laughs> we we know a few. Yeah. Uh,
0: anyway, um, something to look forward to in the next ep- couple episodes. Any other things we we should talk about?
1: Mm, that definitely covers it um, as far as pest activity, but um, I don't know what else is happening.
0: Well, you know, now that the you know COVID nineteen is kind of catching a second wave and people are having to, being asked to wear masks and maybe focus more on the social distancing. Not being able to get in the gym as much. So, gotta find new ways to
1: get Stay fit.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, uh, ladies and gentlemen, you can't see the painful look on Aaron's face. (laughs) Made that Mm -hmm. joke. All right, time for a fun, is it fun? Insect trivia? Fun? Uh
1: fun is debatable, but that you call it fun insect trivia.
0: Fun or factual get insect fit. trivia. Let's get fit. All right, so today we're going to do that uh, version where I'm going to give you a bunch of clues, and Erin's going to post on the chat, and I'll let you know if she gets it right. But I won't. I won't reveal the answer until the final clue, so our listener can play along and not be distracted by. Aaron's correct answer, or incorrect answers. I think you're gonna get this one. I think you're gonna get this one early on. Okay. Um, So real clear, what I'm looking for is a common name for a specific insect, right? All right, so this is a common name attached to an insect. Uh, We're ready?
1: Yeah. All right,
0: so first clue. This insect's common name is based on what it is not. Okay. All right. No, not that. This insect species name is, and pardon my inability to pronounce Latin, Strigoderma arboricola. I'll repeat for our listener. The insect species name is Strigoderma arboricola. Nope, Aaron, that's not it either. All right, mm-hmm. all right. so, so far, we're on clue number three. This species is native to North America and can be found in Iowa. All right. the, adult, the adult stage is active now in Iowa. From like June, a little bit into July. Oh, uh, all right. You know what? You're supposed to be making guesses, Aaron, not comments. Like not helpful. All right, stay focused. All right, for our listener, the larval stage feeds on plant roots, especially grass. Okay. All right. I'm going to review the 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 uh, the clue so far. Start in the beginning. Um, Aaron's getting closer, All right? So if I review these, maybe she'll, maybe a little fire synapse. All right, so the first clue was this insect's common name, which is what I'm looking for, is based on what it is not. The insect species name is Strigoderma arboricola. Now you could probably maybe write that down in Google and, and come up, but you're not gonna do that. You're, you're dedicated to the game, you're trying to get fit. This species is native to North America and can be found in Iowa. In fact it is found in Iowa. I saw it uh, just the other day. The adult is active now. The adult is active now. The larval stage feeds on plant roots. And the last clue, and I think this one should do it. It does not have white tufts along the dorsal abdominal edge, like the species it resembles. All right. So, Aaron has answered. Uh, I think she's answered it correctly. She used some abbreviations. Yeah, you got it. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm looking for the false Japanese beetle. I think, I don't know. Do you know of any other insect that is named based on something that it's not?
1: That's a good question. Makes me, yeah, I don't, I can't immediately think of something that's called the false something. Yeah,
0: it's like, and the crazy thing about that is the false Japanese beetle is native to North America. So we had to wait until the Japanese beetle was brought to the United States, moved across, you know, established as an invasive species before we came up with a common name for a critter that was already here.
1: We didn't care about it till the real pest showed up for a second.
0: Right. right. That's, like, that's, like you don't, that's like having a child and not naming it until the second child is born. Is like well you know we just called it child you now we didn't need to call it anything other than that until we got a second one. That first child's gonna feel pretty I don't know, feel pretty mm. bad about
1: themselves. Yeah. Well when you said the species name it sounded familiar to me but I couldn't place place it.
0: Oh, I would I would have never known that um the common name based on that species name. Because this mm. is yeah so let's review a little bit about the false Japanese beetle. Um not much of a pest. Not not a pest, yeah. I mean, it shows up. And part of the reason why we even note it is it looks like Japanese beetle, but it often, at least in Iowa, comes. uh, the adults arrive earlier than the Japanese beetle. And so people kind of get anxious and want to do something when they see this. And you have uh, applied entomologists have to say, no, it's it's just the false Japanese beetle. Uh, It doesn't have those white tufts on its abdomen. It's not as shiny. I, I find it really hard to. I mean, it has the shape of a Japanese beetle, but it, it, it's not as distinctive. Um, and it's usually just a harbinger for the beast that's going to come a couple of weeks later. This yeah. year, at least in my uh, experience, they've, they've overlapped.
1: Yeah.
0: I don't know if you, if you've seen it. I
1: think any. that's true. They overlap. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Not always. And again, my sense in, in the past 15 years that I've been here is eh, false comes a little bit earlier. And then it, Dies out. You don't see the adults for very long, and then we're stuck with the Japanese beetle for like six weeks, at least. Yeah, it's a bummer. Anyway, that was my fit. Hey, guess where I saw? Yeah, I'll give you a chance to read. Oh, you got it right! After one, two, three,
1: three. Oh, yeah
0: Guess uh, guess where I saw this false Japanese beetle. At your hemp farm. I did. I went to a hemp farm. I uh, got called out by a farmer. Wanted to know if. Uh, She had any trouble with her, she was having trouble with her hemp. She had some like little shotgun holes in some of the leaves. And we went out and took a look. Um, And yeah, I didn't see anything that would have caused that damage, but I did see a couple of false Japanese beetles on the plant, not really eating. Uh, They're not really all that voracious a herbivore. They don't do a lot. I don't see all of them doing a lot of uh, feeding. I think this one was just kind of hanging out, waiting to uh, attract a mate. But yeah, it was interesting. Interesting afternoon. So that was my fit, Aaron. It
1: was a good fit. You stumped me. All
0: right. Well, anything else we need to talk about? Should we wrap it up?
1: I think we're good.
0: Okay. So uh, you know where to find us. Email us if you have questions or suggestions for topics. My email is, as always, O N E A L at I A state.edu. Aaron's is E W H at I A state.edu. You can find us on Google, Stitcher um do they still do itunes the yeah yeah uh, google play um or you could just find us at our website soybean research lab and our podcast send us a line we'd love to hear from you stay thanks safe for, Aaron.
1: thanks for listening thanks matt
0: yep see you next time